So between the military and Arthur Anderson, I became some just mega disciplined guy with system and process. But I use that and then overlay on that the, the, the style aspect, the soft stuff uh, that we've been talking about here, the, the ones where you care more about them than you. And when you put those together, um, that gives you a differentiated edge. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Season two, episode two, we have Jack Daly on the show. Jack is a sales guru, global phenomenon, keynote speaker, and absolute legendary man. He has run a multitude of marathons, completed full Ironman, and he is joining us today on the show. Now, we actually came across Jack through our season one guest, Shay Eskew, who he highly recommended. And we wanted to get Jack on early on season two as we have just kicked off the financial year in Australia. We wanted to help motivate all you movers and groovers, all you revenue generators and anyone out there that is building a business. Now, Jack takes us back to good old fashioned sales habits where he talks about the key ingredients and the activities and the mindset required to successfully build a business. He's focused on life by design, which is really all about intentional living, about how we can create and actually deliver on our goals. How do we hold ourselves accountable is of real interest and value to anyone that is results or performance orientated. As always, we ask you give us feedback, rate this podcast. Link will be in the show notes. And if you haven't yet, Go to www.ultrahabits.co to subscribe to get more episodes, more information, and more insights on what we are going to be doing this season. Anyways, we'll leave you with Jack. Welcome to the Ultra Habits Show, Jack. We are so happy to have you here. It's uh, a bright and early 6 a.m. here in Australia. I know you've been here many times, and we are super, super happy to have you on the show. Well, I'm happy that it's not 6 a.m. here because you would have stolen some uh, some time out of the gym for me. But uh, it's a it's it's a pleasure whenever I connect with Australia. I'm jonesing on Australia because I haven't been uh, since the pandemic hit. I got to say, Jack, you have a wonderful energy and something that really struck me about your book was the level of energy that you read that whole damn audiobook was extraordinary. Every line in that sentence was read with like enthusiasm and energy. I was thinking to myself, man, Jack must have been so tired after the reading, uh, <laughs> doing the audiobook. I got to tell you this story. Uh, you go ahead. We, we've got to do this. Yeah, so yeah. the studio that does the book recording, that's their specialty. They told my uh, business manager they needed three full days. And I'm like, Three days. I, I like. I wrote the book. I know what the book is. It's it's no more than two thirds of a day. It's a, you know I'll be out of there. And uh, they came back and said, "Listen, we're the pros. It'll take you three days." And so I told my business manager, "Well, let them know I'm only paying for whatever I use." So <laughs> I show up. The guy puts me in the head with the headset in the paneled room, and you know uh, 
noise proof, goes in the other room, does his thing with the electric board. He's on, he's on speaker. He says, whenever you're ready, you go. And I've got the manuscript on a, on, on a, on a, on a table in front of me. And, uh, and I said, okay. And he goes, now don't worry about anything. We take all the blips out, coughs and hesitation, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I'm good. So off we go. And uh, we were about an hour and a half into it. And he says, Jack, just stop. I'm coming in the room. Uh, just hold on. So he comes in the room and he says, uh, I've been doing this for 14 years. This has never happened. I, and I said, what, what, what's happening? And he goes, there's never been a pause. There's never been a, a hiccup. There, there's nothing for me to do. It's just going like, like, I, I don't understand. I've, I've never had this happen. And I said, well, the only thing I can tell you is that you probably are dealing with the authors, you know, because that's your specialty and they're not speakers. I just happen to be a speaker who wrote a book. Uh, and so I feel like I'm in the room cheating because I've got a manuscript in front of me. And usually I'm in front of an audience for hours or days without any tool of that nature. And so uh, he then looks at me and he goes, well, if we keep going at this pace, we're going to be done in like a half a day. And I said, no kidding. That's what I've been telling you guys all along. And he goes, all right, let me ask you another question. How about the bathroom? Do you ever have to go to the bathroom? And I'm like, well, I do Ironman races and it takes me more than a dozen hours and I'm competitive. And so I train myself not to go. And he goes, well, I don't do Ironman. So we're going to be taking breaks for, <laughs> I got to go right now. <laughs> it's it's such an interesting point, right? Like so many, I guess, people that write books, they're academic. They may be a little bit more introverted. You've been selling, pitching, communicating your whole life. So once you're on, you're on, right? Absolutely. No question about it. Yep. Well, the way that I came across your work was quite interesting. I had a mutual friend, Shay Eskew, on our podcast. Shay and I, there's an overlap in interests. I'm an ultra marathon runner. He's obviously into Ironman. And he told me about you at the beginning of our dialogue. We, we had offline and I started to research you and I thought, well, this is someone that I definitely have to get on the show. I, I realized that you were into marathons and I started reading your book through Audible and I started listening to that stuff around, you know, director of self uh, first impressions, the receptionist. And I was like, this sounds really familiar. And I texted a guy, no, Alan Higgins, who ran, runs a company called Market Force mm. here in Australia. And I was like, Alan, are you into Jack Daly stuff? Because whenever I used to come to your office, we used to talk about all the weird and wonderful type. Like everyone in the industry knew about Market Force because of the culture. And Alan was renowned for not having salespeople. And he would just, he's an unbelievable sales guy and everyone loved him. And I, he goes, yeah, we've done Jack Daly's workshop multiple times. And I was like, okay, there you go. Mm, absolutely. Um, I, I got one that could even beat that, RJ, and that is that that uh, I had two different uh, organizations talking with one another, unbeknownst to me, and one of them contacted me and said, we were both employing your stuff. And all of a sudden, we realized it and said, hey, by the way, have you ever gone to a Jack Daly thing? And they go, yeah. And he goes, me too. So... 
All <laughs> right. Let's, let's figure out a way to do business together um, and, and not get uh, the techniques all in our way uh, because they were in effect using the stuff w against or, or, or with, with each other. Right. And, uh, but it, but it was, it was definable. Uh, it, 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 was, it was something that we could be literally connected to something that I had taught. Well, look, we're going to talk about all things sales today. And one thing I want to jump into is some of your views on how selling has changed over time. How is it kind of now, I suppose, Oracle and kind of OG, as we call it, looking back on the whole sales game? How has things changed? Is it still the same? You know, people are saying cold calling's dead. I don't believe cold calling's ever going to be dead. I mean, there's a lot of change through digital. Like, what's your view on the landscape and how it's changed from when Jack Daly kicked off as a sales guy to now uh, being where you're at? So I think that is one of the best questions I've ever been asked, truly. Um, and the answer is it's changed massively and it hasn't and so let let's 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 unpeel that a little bit um uh, today a salesperson can leverage technology and get more efficient and more effective than they ever have before um you know when the internet came into play and we can put up our products and our services and our vision for our company. Um, it is a tremendous wealth of information. As a salesperson, previous to having a website and having an internet available, I had to dig for that information. And a lot of times the digging took place at the client place of business, asking the questions and going hard on that, on that side of the house, right? Today, I can do all of that prior to a call. But the other thing is, is that, um, I, I can I can learn all about what their products are. I can learn about their pain points. I I can really really deep dive into that. Um, the the other thing though that 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 provides the advantage from a technology standpoint is I no longer need to go out into the marketplace and represent my products or services and bring them along as exhibits in cases. Um, uh, the prospective <laughs> customer. Literally, you used to bring them out and your trunk was full of your stuff. Um, today, the client can go on and just shop on your website and look at all of your offerings and what and whether it's a fit or not a fit. So that, that changed the name of the game. Technology, again, changed the name of the game in terms of efficiency and effectiveness, in terms of a contact management system. You know, it takes nine touches before the prospect even knows you exist and most salespeople quit at five or less. But if you leverage a technology system of contact management system, um, you can make that thing really high powered at a very minimal cost without any real work on your part. You can delegate that to an assistant. So all of those types of things have changed, which means, which means that when you go on a sales call, the demeanor in which you handle the call has changed dramatically. The, the client no longer is going to tolerate you talking about the things that they can learn themselves. So what we have to do is we have to do a lot of homework before we get there to ask the deep questions, to really diagnose that, that call 
than not bore the prospect with what would be trivial type information. Would have been critical information 30 years ago, would be trivial today. So we're looking for, the customer's looking for from a salesperson, they're looking for partnership. Um, they're, lo they're looking for somebody to help them um, traverse through choppy waters out there, uh, th to help them be more successful. And a salesperson has to align themselves. My visual is they're on the same side of the table as the opposite side of the table. It used to be the opposite side of the table. Now it's the same side. Now, um, what, what hasn't changed? What hasn't changed is selling is the transfer of trust. That's always been true, and it's true even more so today. People do business with people they trust. So how do you create trust? Another thing that hasn't changed is people do business with people they like. Now, if I end up, if I end up taking a look at the very top salespeople out there, I can tell you when I'm on a call, if I spend two days with them and they make 10 calls over those two days, <clears throat> I see different people showing up each call. Because the salesperson is like a chameleon and morphs into being more like the person they're calling on. People do business with people they like and they tend to like people that are more like them. And so adjusting your style to be more in alignment with the person. Um, and you've got to be really attuned to that and very skilled at that. Um, and so that, that hasn't changed. And so the basic fundamentals of selling haven't changed. Um, being a listener more than a presenter you know an awful lot I, I i can i made in 2019 before the pandemic i had a long stretch of visits in, in india and it seemed like in the 11 cities that i arrived the similar questions were asked before i even took the stage and one of them was are you going to teach us good pitches and i said actually i'm going to do better than that i'm going to teach you not to pitch <laughs> people do not want to be sold by the way, they didn't like people to sell them 40 years ago, and they don't like them to be selling them today. And so one of the pieces of advice I give is quit selling. You see, as a salesperson, our job is help them to buy. And the subtle difference between selling someone something and helping them buy is profound. So it hasn't changed and it's changed. And I could go on with many examples. There's a lot in that. There's a lot in that, Jack. I, I think that, so I came into selling right before the digitization movement. So before LinkedIn and what I found was is someone that could get and wedge into anywhere like a rat. It was advantageous to me that decision makers weren't accessible because I would get to them and my competitors wouldn't. What I found now through LinkedIn is, is decision makers are over communicated to. Even the bad salespeople can find the decision maker and decision makers are fatigued from too much information. And I think so my opinion is that digital's created uh, an advantage in the sense that, yes, they're accessible, but they're also over communicated to. And as you said, they are better learned. So they already know, as you said, what they kind of want to buy before they go to market, right? So because they have the tools through the internet to do the research. And so a lot of decision makers have already anchored themselves to what they think is the process that they want to go down. And so 
you now have, I think, because of um, selling not being as hard because of social media, it's not hard selling. And now more educated buyers, it's resulted in what you said. You've got to do more of an education process. It's this trusted advisor piece versus let me bark at you, right, about what I have. Look, I'll, I'll put it to you as simple as it could ever be stated. When you care more about the customer than you do about the sell, you will sell more than anyone else out there. That, that's the differential. I'm going to also tell you that less than 5% of the salespeople in the world are selling at that level. They happen to be the top people, but that's the key. So I want to give you a personal example of what I'm talking about there. Um, I, I've, I've got my 10th book sitting out there uh, about to be published by the end of the year. But uh, when, I, when, I, when I think about writing a book and the investment of time and effort and money uh, that takes place doing that, um, why would I do that? Why would I write a magazine of 32 pages in which I have uh, done four different times? Um, well, those are lead generators. They're designed to generate leads for people to take a look at, hey, is this somebody, Jack Daly, that I could use to help me grow my business? But here's the message that I want to deliver to you is that 30% of all of the leads that get generated by those types of tools into my company, we give to other people. 30% of those leads are given away. Now, I have been a salesperson for over 50 years and just saying that hurts me. But but here's the deal. When someone contacts me and says, I'd like to talk to you about speaking to my customer service people because they need to get jacked up, right? And I ask them a few more questions and I say, gosh, I could do that. I've, I've, years ago, I addressed customer service people. But but my, my core competency is sales. Um, and there, there are people that I can recommend to you um, that are superb at customer service. And if I were in your shoes, uh, I, I, would, I would contact them rather than me. And I can make that connection for you. Now, think about that. I had somebody that's ready to write a check for me and hire me, and I gave it away. But what's really interesting about that is I don't think I lose on that deal. Uh, I, be I believe in the law of reciprocity. Do the right thing, and it'll bounce back towards you. A year later, the same person contacts me and says, I want to hire you to do sales training. And I go, perfect. That's my wheelhouse. But here's the question. How many other people that do sales training did that person call? And the answer is going to be zero. Mm. And, the, and I ask, why is that? And the answer to that is because I created a bedrock of trust. At the end of the day, people do business with people they trust. And by the way, if you ever wanted to have a bonus, since they didn't call anyone else but me, what I didn't have to deal with is price objection. I didn't have to deal with the competition. And so 90% of my business is repeat and referral, which is a great place to be. And salespeople in any business have that available to them. Very few have the courage to go there but we all have it available to us. It's playing the long-term game and building relationships 
as playing the short-term game and doing a transaction. And transaction selling is hard. You, you never know where your next deal is going to come from. Build a clientele that trusts you and will give you a lifelong amount of business in addition to referrals. That's the spot to own. Unfortunately, too few people do it. You talked about that in your book, and it was interesting because it's something that businesses don't measure enough, but that metric would definitely tell a business the trust and the brand equity they have in the market, right? Like, well, how well are you really doing can be based and you can judge that upon, well, how much or how many recommendations are your customers giving you? And I think if you measured that, that'd be a really powerful indicator of where you stand in your market, right? Without, without question. You yeah. know, I'll give you a great example. I had a major client in New York City, one of the largest banks in the United States, hired me to increase uh, the percentage of revenue that's going to be generated in their mortgage operation. And this bank had a large brand identity and was able to make the phones ring for an inbound sales force. And, um, and so when I went in to work with them, what I discovered was that they weren't spending enough time digging deep into the customer's needs. They, they seemed in a hurry to get off the call. Well, one of the reasons is the thing that they were, they were being measured by um, was how long they were spending on the phone call. And so um, and, and the other thing that was being measured was the abandonment rate which meant that when you said all your agents are busy, listen to our bad music and someone will come on the line with you. And then we hang up from that. That's an abandoned call. And so uh, what I discovered was we're in too much of a hurry. So spend more time asking questions and you'll close more deals. Well, three months later, um, the revenue of the company had tripled and um, we were knocking the ball completely out of the park. And I was asked to go to the most highest level in the bank um, and, and meet with the senior officers. As I'm going up in the elevator, I'm thinking, gosh, are they going to bonus me or what are they going to do? I mean, like, because the results have been that dramatic. And when I got into the office, they read me the riot act <laughs> and they were absolutely livid. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, what, what is the problem? And they said, the bank branches are inundated with pissed off customers because all they're doing is being abandoned. They're abandoned. Abandonment rate is through the roof. And so you're the reason. And I said, well, the reason is because we're spending more time on the calls. So there's two choices here. One is that you can tone down the advertising and slow the leads or pour more sales reps in the building. But don't tell me to go downstairs and tell them that you want to lower the abandonment rate by not doing the right thing when you're on the call with a customer. Because if you want me to do that, I can go down there. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you that I want each agent to say, hi, bye, hi, bye, hi, mm -hmm. bye. You know, now the abandonment rate will go to zero, um, but so also will your revenue. Um, mm -hmm. We've we got to be very careful in sales to diagnose where the pain is. What is it that we're supposed to be doing? So what you just said was critical, and that is, what are the key things that we're measuring? We're 
now in a place in Australia where we're facing the beginning of the financial year and lots of reps are gearing themselves for hitting their targets, I would say majority of salespeople don't really have a plan. I think they're kind of just like a, a, you know, a leaf in the wind floating around, hoping, throwing Hail Marys, hoping they're going to hit their targets. I know in your book, you had that five laws for renewal. You have your thoughts on what solid and good attributes are from a mindset and behavioral perspective of a salesperson for as a sales manager, you have a team. What would you be focused on right now in terms of that team's mindset and behavioral piece? Like what would be, and how would you be guiding that? Well, RJ, look at the most important ingredient of all, you know, I'm asked the question a lot. What's the most important ingredient in terms of a salesperson? It's one word, grit, G-R-I-T. So if you've got a sales team with members on it that don't have grit, if they aren't hungry, um, no matter what the systems and processes you set up and no matter what the things that you're going to say that they should be doing, it's going to be unsatisfactory. You're going to be disappointed with the performance. So the first order of business is get the right people in the seats. You got to have people that get up in the morning and want to chew raw meat off the bone. You can't teach that, but you can teach everything else. So that's the first ingredient. Make sure that you're stocked with people that are hungry and energetic and passionate to do the business. But then after that, the most important thing that I can give you beyond the grit is HPAs, high payoff activities. Um, when we go into companies and really dissect what's going on inside the company from a selling perspective, more than 50% of a salesperson's time is spent on things that don't generate new business. Um, it's amazing to me. And so much of that is being directed by the managers and the owners of the company. It's not the salesperson's idea. Uh, as an example, I, I love making cold calls. I love doing things that people say, there's no way that you could get that done. You, there's no way that you could get to that guy. You know, if, if, if I, if I go, go back to, you know, the, the, the Wall Street movie with Michael Douglas and, and Bud Gordon Ray, Gecko. get the gecko, right? <laughs> you gotta have that grit, right? To go for it. But, but you gotta work on the key activities. I love being Bud Grant. I love going after the gecko. But what I'm not good at is updating my contact management system. Don't tell me to sit in front of a computer screen every day and update the contact management system. And by the way, I am a big fan of contact management systems. I just don't want to be a data entry clerk. And so give me an assistant or give me somebody else to do that stuff for me so that I can do the HPAs the things that are most important. If I personalize it to the speaking business, if I, viewed, if I viewed other speakers as my competitors, I watch and they're doing all of these silly things that they shouldn't be doing. I have a company by design with no employees, but I have six personal assistants mm. that help me with any number of things. So it's silly for me to do travel of my own travel because I'm not a travel agent. I'm not good with a keyboard. I'm not good with a computer. And it's something that I wouldn't get up and get energized about. But would you rather me doing my travel or would you rather me calling mm. on Gordon Gecko? right? Mm. Um, uh, when someone orders a book 
on my website. I don't want to be going out into my garage and picking the book out and putting it into a box and labeling it and taping it. This is nonsense. Then I'm going to put it in my car and take it to UPS or FedEx for delivery purposes. Then I'm going to come home and run it through some computer screen so that I can process the payment. Now I'm a cashier. I'm a delivery man. I'm a shipping department. It's it's nonsense. And yet I look at my competitors and they're working on those things. Are they working on the most important things? At the end of the day, what a salesperson's job is just two things. Win new customers, grow the ones you got. And so the last thing that I would say in answer to the question as beginning of the financial year for many companies is this. Focus on that which you have control of. And I'll tell you, that is a very salient point, particularly during a pandemic, because I have witnessed over the last 15 to 18 months, salespeople using the pandemic as an excuse because I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this. I don't want to hear about what you can't do. All I want to focus on is that which you can do. I can also tell you that I don't have a lot of conversations about the vaccine. I am not a scientist. I'm not going to be a contributor. And so when you have a vaccine, I'll be the first to get it. And then I'm going to go back to work. But I'm not working on, hey, am I going to cure COVID? And I want to have a conversation with the next 50 people over Mm -hmm. a cup of coffee talking about whether I can cure COVID. I can't. So what I can do, though, is I can do the payoff, high payoff activities that will enable me to get in the door with some people. And I can do the homework that I need to do in order to be prepared to make it a great call. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick break to thank you for your continued support of the Ultra Habits Show. It's through your support that we've been able to scale this thing so quickly and so strong over the past year. And we're truly grateful for your continued support. If you haven't already, please go to www.ultrahabits.co and subscribe. You'll get cool information, insights, and be up to date with everything we're doing. And also, if you haven't, please rate this podcast The link is in the show notes. When you do this, you help us scale our message of ultra performance, ultimately helping us create more impact with our tribe. Anyways, we're going to leave you back in the hands of our wonderful guest. One thing you said that was really impactful for me in your book, I'm a very task-orientated person, and sometimes I get confused as to what's important versus what's urgent. And I end up treating everything as important, but no task is as we equally as important as each other. But because of how I'm geared, I'm just tick, 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 right? And I think what you're saying is super important in terms of a salesperson focusing on the essentials, the priorities. I think a lot of salespeople... I think good salespeople have this balance of optimism and pessimism. I think I think there's a lot of salespeople that are not realistic about their pipeline. I think is a a really good salesperson maintains the positivity outward, but they also have the ability to really look at their pipeline in a way and say and diagnose 
am I actually focusing on the right activity or am I just doing activity for activity's sake so I can tell my sales manager I'm active and busy? And I think that piece is massive. Like how real can you be with yourself? You can bullshit everyone else. But I think is a, at the end of the day, a salesperson has to have the ability to analyze their activity and say, yes, I'm really focusing on that money-making activity. I think now, RJ, RJ, I'm over here high-fiving you like crazy right now. <laughs> no, no kidding. Um, look, if, if I wanted to take what you just said and take it just a little bit further, how about this? The better salespeople in most businesses actually call on less people and they write more business. The key is to call on the right people. Too many salespeople calling on too many people that don't deserve to be called on. So if you're all about just doing the activity and showing how many ticks each day that you're making in terms of calls or emails or whatever it is that you're doing, um, I, that doesn't impress me. What, what impresses me is doing the right activities with the right people, right? And, and, and I'll go back to my example that I gave, uh, spending more time on the right person as opposed to knocking off so many things off of my to-do list. Can I ask you a question? I find that that behavioral attribute of grit, it's an interesting one because especially in complex selling environments where it's all about trusted advisor and as a seller, you want to have a sophisticated approach and be viewed as a trusted advisor. But when you're too gritty or kind of a dog at a bone, sometimes that could impact how you're viewed by the customer. And what we're seeing nowadays, and we're, we're seeing sometimes the best closers aren't necessarily the people that can open and and, and they're not as gritty, but they've got that product knowledge and they've got that sophistication. They know how to take a complex deal through the sales process. Do you feel that you have to be highly aware of your assertiveness, aggressiveness, and then kind of move and shift in gears into more of a sophisticated, like, I guess what I want to know is, What's your view on salespeople needing to manage and chameleon and maneuver the way they present themselves to the customer? Because sometimes being gritty might be good to the point of getting in the door, but that could just become annoying and be perceived as aggressive once you're in there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense a lot. So you remember earlier I said people do business with people they like. They tend to like people that are more like them. And so the salespeople that are at the top are more chameleon-like, right? And they modify their behavior. But you can only do that to some degree. So as an example, I, I, you know, an awful lot of people 18 years ago before I came to Australia told me, well, the Australians are going to have a difficult time with you because you're too, you're too brash, you're too in the face, you know, you're too, too high energy type of thing. Uh, and I laughed and found it to not be the case. And I heard the same thing about the UK. And yet I was honored as Speaker of the Year in the UK and in Australia. Um, so evidently that brashness worked for me. But here is, I think, how. Um, uh, there's no question in the eyes of my prospect or customer 
that I genuinely care about them. I've convinced them that I truly do care. And, and by the way, I, it doesn't take much to convince them because it's reality. I do. I partner with them. I don't sell. I partner with them in trying to help them make the best decision. But here's the difference. I am a, an assertive person. I, I am ag aggressive. Uh, and at some stage along the way, I'm going to sense that the prospect customer is feeling like, man, am I coming on too strong? And so I'm going to tee it up with them personally and say, by the way, you may feel like I am coming at you like a pit bull. But the reason is, is if I'm a good partner for you, then uh, forget about me representing the ABC company. I'm representing your company. And I'm so passionate that this solution is the best for your situation that I'm going to be like a pit bull with you. And if I can't figure out how to get you to hear it, I've got to speak in so many different decibels in order for you to do. That's how much I care about it. I have that conversation with my prospects and customers. Brilliant. That, so it's about the framing and it's about speaking about when you speak about the things that people don't necessarily want to speak about, you create even a deeper tie with that person, right? In many ways. Here's the word, authenticity. Mm. You, it's hard to sell against someone who sells authentically. Um, and so I, I'm, I don't need to put my sales hat on. My sales hat is on 24 seven because my sales hat is not the used car salesperson. My sales hat is how can I help my prospect, customer, and client. And, you know, uh, we, we end up teaching salespeople so much about the product and so much about the service that they're representing. Uh, and what happens is we sell logically. But in, in almost every situation out there, uh, the, the majority of sales are based on emotion. And so we need to hit the emotional button in our dialogue with people. And when I search for emotion, here's where I go. Pain and pleasure. People buy to get out of their existing pain and put them into a place of pleasure. And the only way that I can then sell to you is I need to diagnose. I need to ask questions about where that pain and where that pleasure points might be. I, I'm going to hold in reserve everything I know about my product and service because maybe it's not the right thing for them. So why am I even talking about it? In fact, if you want me to go on my pet peeve in the campaign, I will tell you that the salespeople that are selling with a PowerPoint presentation are actually making a big mistake because until you've dug deep enough into the prospect customer, how could you have put a pro how could you have put a PowerPoint presentation together? Um, all you're doing is pitching me and selling me as soon as you open up that laptop. Um, and, 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 and the second thing that I can tell you in terms of that PowerPoint presentation is that um, it, it displays that you're not conversant enough on your product or service to stand there on your own two feet and deliver. Um, you've got to have a dependency on your little show. Um, and so, you know, from my standpoint, you want authenticity, um, bring it. And if you don't know your product and service well enough, 
then practice it and get it to where you do. There's a lot in that. Um, there was something in the book that you wrote about that really resonated with me that when you're selling, you're not, you haven't yet delivered the value. You're effectively painting a picture of a utopia and you're pulling the customer towards that. And I always like to reflect on how I buy. I, I, I like to, it's interesting when you reflect when you're the customer mm-hmm. and you are quite right. I use logic to ascertain the product or service, but ultimately I will buy based on how that individual's made me feel. Right? Like the once the products align, if they're the same, I'm ultimately going by, as Maya Angelou said, people don't remember what you say. They remember how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the artistry component of, of, of selling, isn't it? So, yeah, that's really interesting stuff. And I'm really keen to not only for myself, but for the for the audience and, and for myself as well, understand, because I know you're a systems and process guy. Is there a, a a certain setup to the day that you employed as a salesperson? Like, did you have a structured day and week? And what did that tend to look like? Or do you think that's kind of market dependent and product dependent? Oh, it, absolute structure without question. And so I'm going to make it simple. Mm-hmm. Let's make it simple. Um, if you were to take within 30 minutes of going to bed at night, right prior to going to bed, sit down with just a, a very simple pad, or if you're more aligned with having a, 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 a computer, that's fine. But I'm a pad guy. Um, and I'm just going to, to plan my day out for the next day. Um, hour by hour, what's going to happen during those time periods. I'm not, I'm not living in a vacuum. I, I realize that the world, real world's going to come in and junk up my perceived day. Um, but, but I'm going to have my list of things that I'm going to be doing at six in the morning, seven in the morning, eight in the morning, all the way until call it six at night. Now, life is going to come in and disrupt some of that. Um, that's fine. And the things that get disrupted, uh, I have had many, many times in my life as a top sales guy where I've made the call at four o'clock to my wife and said, I'm sure dinner's going to be fantastic, but you're going to need to put mine in the fridge because I haven't made it through my list because the world came in and screwed my day up. And so I'm not going to get in until about nine o'clock tonight. And, uh, you know, life happens. And so that's just the nature of a good salesperson. But what I'm, what I really want to give a message, RJ, is this: I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going home until I get my list that I made up the night before. And if I can dial in on that list and knock those things off the list, and if they are HPAs, high payoff activities, um, I'm going to be in the top ten percent of salespeople in whatever industry and company that I'm working in. Mm. So, so, so I am system and process. And, and I am scheduled. Uh, it, the, the, you know, the, you, you were on my schedule today. It was on the calendar. Um, I, I'm, so, I'm so that way that if my wife wants to go to dinner with me, she has to run it by my business manager. If I want to do something, I need to run it through my business manager because we made a rule in the company that only one person will manage the calendar. 
And I never want to be in the position where I would say to my wife, yeah, let's go to dinner on Friday. And all of a sudden, um, Jennifer, my business manager, has somebody coming in from Australia visiting and says uh, they want to go to dinner on Friday. Well, I'm going to take my Australian visitor out to dinner. Uh, I can always go out with my wife, but I, I don't want to I don't want to dump her on any occasion. I'll never dump her if she runs it through the business manager. So that's the process. Right. And it, and it is. It, look, if there's an if there's an important number to take away from this today, it's 168. That's the number of hours everybody's given a week. It's 24 times seven. But um, you've got to you, you need eight hours of sleep a night. That's 56 hours that just went away from the 168. Then you got to eat. You got to exercise. You got some social activities. At the end of the day, as a salesperson, you got about 40 to 60 hours to work. You better be damn sure that you're getting that 40 to 60 be dialed in on the things you have control over that are the highest payoff activities with the right people. I so relate to that. I was just talking to my wife last night. My calendar drives everyone bonkers uh, because I'm so, I, I think what happens is the process of sales and the career of sales transforms you as an individual and you have to become regimented. I think that's why I do so well in, in ultra marathons. I know you run Ironmans, you do marathons. I'm sure you would have just overlaid your selling template and it wasn't that hard right? Because you've already got the disciplines and the structures in place. Yeah, without question. You know, I, I, if I think back, you know, I've got a bachelor's degree and I've I got a master's degree. But if you ask me, what were the courses that I took that had lifelong positive impact? It would be ROTC, the military preparation courses, because I ended up becoming a, a second lieutenant in the army on the discharge of, from school. And then during the Vietnam conflict made it into captain in the United States army and the, and, and, and the, and the military services are all about discipline. Uh, it's all about system. It's all about process. And when I graduated from college, I went to work for Arthur Anderson and we were built out at 15 minute increments. Wow. So, you had, to, you had to track your day every day in increments of 15 minutes for billing purposes. So that's all about discipline and working on the most important things. So between the military and Arthur Anderson, I became some just mega disciplined guy with system and process. But I use that and then overlay on that the, the, the style aspect, the soft stuff. Uh, that we've been talking about here, the the ones where you care more about them than you. And when you put those together, um, that gives you a differentiated edge. Uh, and, 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 and I would add this as a tidbit, and that is proactive versus reactive. And so that's another pet peeve of Jack's. What I find is the salespeople that are in the bottom 50% of performers are reactive salespeople versus the proactive salespeople. Um, you know, and don't to put it under the label, well, you've got to be reactive because it's good customer service, not at the expense of proactive mm. on the HPAs, mm. right? Because you'll be, you know, if you want to work in customer service, go work in customer service, but selling demands proactivity. Yeah, I love that, Jack. I think we'll end it there. I really, really appreciate your time. I loved your energy. Your energy in person was as I thought it would be, uh, as I said, the auto audio book was, 
was extraordinary in terms of your level of energy. And if you could just give us some insight on the next book and where can our audience find you? Yeah, so um, it's the easiest place to find me is jackdailysales.com. And daily is D-A-L-Y. So jackdailysales.com. And I would tell any of the listeners, it, the website is loaded with a lot of free stuff. Uh, I've got four magazines on there that you can download. Uh, hundreds, literally hundreds of free videos that are less than 10 minutes each in segments. So bite-sized type stuff. So there's a lot of tremendous value there. In terms of the book, um, this book will be something that is unlike any other book that I've, that I've, that I've produced or written. And that is the working title. We're, we're not for sure yet, but the working title is Jack Daly's Life by Design. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so at a very early age, 13 years old, I spent the summer and interviewed 200 successful people, what caused them to be successful and what advice they would give to a 13 year old. And I've been following that process that I learned then and then adding to it in my journey in life. And it's been an amazing thing. If you go to my website, you'll see my goals for the year are there. You'll see my bucket list is there. I have over 300 items on my bucket list over 75% of which have already been checked the box. Um, and so how did that happen? It did not happen by accident. It happened by intention. I have led a life of intentionality. And so I have showed the story and given people the map and then designed the process and system um, that they can utilize to do that. And I would also tell you that uh, I was very sensitive in writing this book, making sure that um, older people uh, didn't feel like they were left out. Uh, I have an entire chapter in there about people that didn't hit their stride until they were in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. In hmm. fact, you mentioned the Ironman. At 58 years old, I did not know how to swim. And it starts with a 3.8 kilometer swim hmm. on the clock, right? Uh, and I pulled off doing 15 full Ironmans over the next eight years between 58 and 66, including Kona, the world championship. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so the, 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 the whole concept of it's too late for me, uh, I abhor. Uh, and so if you if you want to take whatever life you have left and take it to another level, um, Jack Daly's life by design is going to make make it that much more simple. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate your time. You bet.